Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery Podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I want to remind everyone that this podcast centers around all the various 12-step recovery paths. We're not affiliated in any way with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step based groups or organizations. Today's episode is going to talk about what the solution is. If there's a problem, we got to live in the solution. We're going to be reading out of the big book today. I'm going to be sharing the chapter called There is a Solution. It's found on page 17 if you want to grab your big books and follow along. This episode, I wanted to have a little bit of substance to it. Now, whether you work a 12-step-based program or whatever your path of recovery is, ultimately, in order to need to do that, to find the need to put some action in, to do something different, to ask for help, to listen to this podcast, to, to join a meeting, to go to Smart Recovery, to work on cognitive behavioral therapy, to go to celebrate recovery, it's because there's a problem. So what's the solution? If I asked you right now, what's the solution? Could you answer it? Could you answer it? So before we're able to identify what the solution is, first we have to understand that there is a problem. And if I can do it another way, I would have done it already. So the beginning of this chapter is going to talk about more identifications of an alcoholic, this alcoholic mentality. It's going to talk about the difference between the moderate, the hard user, and the real alcoholic. It's going to talk about why it's a thinking problem. It's going to talk about why sponsorship works. It's going to talk about what the obsession is, man. And why we do it. If I asked you right now, why do you do it? Could you tell me? Do you have an answer? Because when I first started, I didn't. I would tell you it was fun, but the the consequences that I was experiencing, they just weren't fun anymore. I tried to relive high school for 20 years, man. I could tell you why now, because I've corrected it and I've lived in the solution long enough to understand what it is, man, and how to apply it. So it's going to make several points and then ultimately it's going to end with what the solution is. But for all you 12 step guys out there, you know, it makes a whole bunch of points in the big book and then it gives you a story of one of the first hundred members. Well, it's like that and there's a solution. It's going to end with a story and I'll point out where the solution falls in as we go. So we're on page 17 of the big book. So I'm going to read this and I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to share my experience. It's the program, not my program. I'm going to share my interpretation and my experience of what it looks like for me. The ways I take all the many guys that I sponsor, the ways I take them through it as well. So we're going to go over that together. And I hope this opens your eyes in a way where you understand that there's a problem and you're looking to find a solution and you're willing to take some action. But first, you and only you can come to the determination that you are an alcoholic or an addict. You have this thinking problem, this alcoholic mentality, and that you got to do something about it. You can't do it for anyone else. But just like my wife and just like my daughter and just like my mom and dad, those are the motivators, man. That's why I keep doing this on a day-to-day basis. I do it for me, but I The motivators are for them. Their love, their undying love, they've always been there for me. 
that's the reason why I get my feet moving a little bit faster every day. And when I need strength, I draw on my higher power and I draw on them and I use it as a motivator to keep on pushing, to find a way to grow every single day, man. But first we have to identify that it's a problem. I have to be able to do step one, understand powerless and unmanageability, fully concede that there's no other way to my innermost self. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. And once I start, I can't stop. I have no control over that. What happens? Everything's unmanageable. No willpower. This chapter is going to help us do that a little bit more. So we're on page 17, chapter 2. There is a solution. We of Alcoholics Anonymous know thousands of men and women who were once just as hopeless as Bill. Nearly all have recovered, have solved their drug problem, their drinking problem. You're only going to find recovering one time in this book. In the first 164 pages, that's into the wives. You're going to find recovered 17 different times, man. My sponsor encouraged me to go through the book and underline every time it said recovered. Because we want to recover from this thing. It doesn't go away, but we can recover. The mental obsession, the physical allergy is removed. So we are average Americans. All sections of this country and many of its occupations are represented, as well as many political, economic, social, and religious backgrounds. For people who normally would not mix, but there exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are like the passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck. When camaraderie and joyousness and democracy pervade the vestige from steerage to captain's table, Unlike the feeling of the ship's passengers, however, our joy and escape from disaster does not subside as we go our individual ways. The feeling and having shared and common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us, but that in itself would have never held us together as we are joined now. You're going to hear the shipwreck analogy over and over and over again. Sometimes you'll hear we sit in circles in meetings so we can help each other float better. This is the best way I could describe it personally that relates best to me. In my addiction, man, I'm drowning. I'm like, it's like I'm out in the middle of the ocean, like a member of a shipwreck. And I'm just struggling every day to keep my head above water, man. Struggling. The book is the life preserver. Struggle, man. If you can relate to just being a struggle every day to keep your head above water, man, you're in the right place. And so what it's talking about is saying that when you recover and you escape disaster together, there's a powerful cement which binds us together, man. The tremendous fact for every one of us is we've discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. Program of action, man. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism and addiction. It's going to compare cancer versus addiction now. And if you're following along in the book or you're listening to me in the car right now or you're just following along on Spotify, I'm going to be going back and forth from my experience, my interpretation, and what the book says, man. So I hope I'm not confusing anybody. An illness of this sort, as we've come to believe it's an illness, remember where it's a disease, it's progressive, it gets worse, never better. If left untreated, it causes death, compares it just the same way to cancer. Four stages, terminal cancer, right? But you can treat it if it's not too far along, man. Same thing with addiction. It's going to compare the two. An illness 
involves those about us in a way no other human sickness can. If a person has cancer, all are sorry for him and no one is angry or hurt. But not so with the alcoholic illness. For with it goes annihilation. Annihilation of all things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgust to friends, employers, warped lives, blameless children, sad wives, parents, and anyone can increase the list. When someone has cancer, man, you rally around them. When someone's an addict, because we've annihilated all things worthwhile in life, that same support just sometimes isn't there, man. Hmm. We hope this volume will inform and comfort those who are or may be affected. There are many highly competent psychiatrists who have dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade an alcoholic to discuss the situation without reserve. Strange enough, wives, parents, and intimate friends usually find us even more unapproachable than the psychiatrist or the doctor. Talking without reserve, man. Being honest. Gosh, man. So hard to do. My parents tried to get me into so many different places and I just wouldn't be honest about the truth about what was going on, man. I just couldn't do it. Let alone with my wife, let alone with my mom and my dad. The fear associated with the truth was just too great, man. Now it's going to transition to why sponsorship works because we're the same person, the same character defects, the same situations, the same scenarios, the same harms. It's all the same. The only difference is the people involved, the places. So it goes on to say that, the, but the ex-problem drinker who has found the solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can genuinely win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours or minutes until such understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. That the man who's making the approach has had the same difficulty, that he obviously knows what he's talking about, that his whole department shouts at the new prospect that he is a man with a real answer. He has no attitude of holier than thou. Nothing would ever accept a sincere desire to be helpful. If there are no fees to pay, no axes to grind, no people to please, no lectures to endure. These are the conditions we found most effective. We just have the sincere desire to help each other escape disaster, to find the life preserver, to keep their head above water, to contribute to life, to love themselves, to forgive themselves, to have meaningful relationships, to have self-worth again. To just to be okay being who they are. Mm. Man, this chapter rings home. The whole book, man. If it sounds like a biography, you can relate to these things, man. Find a path of recovery, please. Because if left untreated, man, this thing is deadly. I'm sure the vast majority, high percentage of the people listening to this right now, every single one of you guys know somebody who died from this disease. It goes on to say, none of us make a sole vocation of this work, nor do we think its effectiveness would be if we increased, if we did. We feel the elimination of our drinking or using is but a beginning. Guys, that's the tip of the iceberg. That's just the very bare minimum beginning because the using, the drinking, the drug abuse is not the problem. So if all I do is stop using or stop drinking, the problem is still there. A much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respected homes, occupations, and affairs. All of us spend much of our spare time in the sort of effort, which we're going to describe. A few, a few are fortunate to be so situated they can give nearly all their time to this work. And if we keep on the way we're going, there's little doubt that much good will result and the surface of the problem would hardly be scratched. 
So if all we did is stop using, the surface of the problem would hardly be scratched. Those of us who live in large cities are overcome by the reflection that clothes by hundreds are dropping into oblivion every day. Many could have recovered if they enjoyed the opportunity that we have. People are out there dying from this disease every day. Every day. It said a few. A few ain't many, man. And right now, if you're that few, where you're in a position where you can give nearly all your time, if you're in a halfway house, if you're in sober living, the COVID gives you the opportunity for everyone to be the few fortunate to be so situated. You can, If you're in a rehab, if you're in a treatment center, if you're in prison, right now you're that few. Take advantage of it. Make the most of being the few because a few isn't many. And if you keep on the way you're going, the surface of the problem would hardly be scratched. And people are dying from this disease every day. And they could have recovered if they enjoyed the opportunity. But what are you going to do about it, man? That's the hard question I had to ask myself. What was I willing to do about it? I was the few fortunate. And I took advantage of it, man. It's paying dividends today. And I'm so thankful and I'm so grateful. If you're in a position where you can give nearly all your time, man, do it. Please do it. Well, how then shall we present which has been so freely given us? Well, we've concluded to publish an anonymous volume, setting forth the problem as we see it. We shall bring to task our combined experience and knowledge to suggest a useful program for anyone concerned with a drinking or a drug problem. Of necessity, there'll have to be discussions of matters medical, psychiatric, social, religious. We are aware these matters are, from their very nature, controversial. Nothing would please us so much as to write a book which would contain no basis for contention or argument. We shall do our utmost to achieve that ideal. Most of us sense that real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and respects for their opinions are attitudes which makes us more useful to others. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers or users depends upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. My will is selfish. God's will is selfless. It's an easy way for me to define it and describe it. My very life depends upon constant thought of others. The first page of working with others, nothing so much will ensure immunity from drinking and drugging than intensive work with another alcoholic. Top of page 20, man, that's a good example, a good definition, a good description of God's will. You may already be asking yourself why it is all of us became so very ill from our drinking or using. Doubtless you're curious to discover how and why in the face of an expert opinion of the contrary, we have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. So the mental obsession being, how do you describe it, a recovered addict? The mental obsession being removed. The physical craving is gone. When living in character defects just doesn't feel right anymore. Those are good indicators. If you're an alcoholic or an addict who wants to get over it, you may be asking yourself right now, what do I have to do? Because you got to do something. It's a program of action. Well, it's the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. We shall tell you what we have done before going into detailed discussion. It may be well to summarize some points as we see them. I'm going to read this paragraph, man. I want you to think about this. Think about how many times your family, your friends, the people in your lives have said these types of things to you and they just didn't get it. They didn't understand why it didn't work. How many times have people said to us, I could take it or leave it alone. Why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer or wine, lay off the hard stuff? His willpower must be weak. He could stop if he wanted to. She's a sweet girl. I should think he'd stop for her sake. 
The doctor told him if he ever got high or drank again, it would kill him. There he is, all lit up again. How many times, guys, have you, have you heard that? Now, these are commonplace observations on drinkers, which we hear all the time. A back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. We see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. They'll never understand. If they don't have that allergic reaction, the mental obsession, the physical allergy, they won't ever be able to understand it, man. And it's hard for them. You know how hard that is? While my mom's love wasn't enough, while my dad's love wasn't enough, while my wife and my daughter weren't enough? That mental obsession, that physical allergy, man, it's tough. And that's what it's talking about. Next thing we're going to talk about is the three different types of users. The moderate, the hard, and the real alcoholic, followed by the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde description of the real alcoholic. So first, we got the moderate drinkers or users. They have little trouble giving it up entirely liquor or drugs. If they have a good reason for it, they could take it or they could leave it alone. Then we have the certain type of hard drinker. He may have had the habit enough, uh, badly enough to gradually impair him physically or mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of the environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man could also stop and moderate. Although he may find it difficult and troublesome, may even need medical attention. But what about the real alcoholic, the real addict? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker or user. But at some stage of his using and drinking career, he begins to lose all control. That's powerless, guys. Of his drug consumption once he starts to drink or use. I'm going to read the description. You'll hear a lot of people refer to it as a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde description. When I read this, if this sounds like a description of you, you're in the right place, man. But you got to do something about it. You have to, man. And you can't do it alone. Ask for help. Find a meeting. Call somebody. Reach out. Because we're here for you. To pay it forward program. Here is a fellow who's been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while using. He's a real Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He's seldomly, mildly high or intoxicated. He's more or less always insanely drunk or high. Insanely. His disposition while using or drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world. You let him get high or drink for a day, he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement is kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except drugs and alcohol. In that respect, he's incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, aptitudes, has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build a bright outlook for his family and himself, and he pulls the structure down on his head with a senseless series of sprees. Can you relate, guys? Is that a description of you? He's the guy who goes to bed so high you think he'd sleep around the clock. Yet he's up early the next morning searching madly for the bottle or drugs he misplaced the night before. If he could afford it, he may have liquor or drugs concealed all over the house. To be certain, no one gets the entire supply from him and throws it down the wastepipe. As matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedatives and liquor and Xanax to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. Then comes a day when he simply cannot make it and he just gets high all over again. 
Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine, suboxone, methadone, subutex to taper off with. He begins to appear at hospitals, sanitariums, community bridges, detoxes, LARC, Chandler Valley Hope, prisons, jails, institutions. Can you relate? Can you relate? Are you the real alcoholic? Are you the real addict? Only you know that. I'm not here to tell you anything about what you have to do or what you need to do or what you should do. I'm just telling you what worked for me. And it took me many, many, many years to fully concede to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic and addict and I had to do something about it. Vigorous action. Now we're going to get into, again, why it's a thinking problem. If you've heard previous episodes, I've kind of touched on that a little bit uh, previously, but we're going to talk about it in the book. Why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one hit, one drink means another debacle with all its intended suffering and humili- suffering. In humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower he sometimes displays with respects to other matters? Perhaps there never be a full answer to this question. Opinions vary considerably is why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We're not sure why. Once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. We know while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol or drugs, whatever, into his system, something happens both in the bodily and mentally sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. These observations will be academic and pointless if our friend ever took that first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem, the alcoholic, centers in his mind rather than his body. It's a thinking problem. I have hundreds and hundreds of experiences that show me the same thing happens every single time I pick up. I have no control. I cannot stop. I lose everything. I give it all away. I experience extreme negative consequences at this point. My life becomes unmanageable. I'm immediately strung out. But I think that this time will be different. Despite evidence of decades that it just is never different. And hasn't been for a long, long, long time. So it centers in my mind. If you ask him why he started on the last bender, the chances are I'll offer you any one of 100 alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc alcoholics drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of a man who having a headache beats himself on the head with a hammer so he can't feel the ache. If you draw this phallus reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he'll laugh it off or become irritated or refuse to talk. Once in a while, though, he may tell you the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. If I asked you why, could you tell me? Do you know why you continually... Try to repeat that desperate experiment of that first drink, that first hit. Despite evidence that shows exactly what will happen every single time. Do you know why you do it? When I first came in these rooms, I didn't know why. Today I do. And I'm so grateful for it. Some drinkers have excuses which they're satisfied part of the time. But in their hearts, they really don't know why they do it. Once this malady, a malady is a sickness, has a real hold, they're baffled a lot. 
So there's two different obsessions in the book. Most people refer to the obsession that comes from more about alcoholism on page one. The idea that somehow, someday, I'll be able to control and enjoy my using is a great obsession of every abnormal user, and the persistence of the illusion is astonishing, that many will pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Most people will refer to that one when they're speaking of obsession. But there's also another one referenced, and it's right here, and there's a solution on page 23. The obsession that somehow, someday, they'll beat the game, but they often suspect we're down for the count. Man, I'm sure hopeful I'm going to beat the game this time, but deep down, I know I'm not. I know I'm taking an L. I know what's going to happen. I suspect I'm down for the count. But that powerlessness, that mental obsession, the physical allergy beyond my control, I have no willpower. I can't stop. Everything's unmanageable. It centers in my mind. Why did I take that first hit? Why the first drink? Why do I do it? I have to figure that out. How true this is. A few realize in a vague way their families and friends sense that these drinkers and users are abnormal. Everybody hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. The tragic truth that if a man's a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. It's going to talk about powerless, man. If you want to find a good definition for powerless, top of 24. He's lost the ability to control. At a certain point of the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes in the state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is absolutely no avail. The tragic situation is practically arrived in every case long before it's suspected. The fact is most alcoholic addicts, for reasons yet obscured, have lost the power of choice in using and drinking. Their so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. The rest of this paragraph, man, what I like to call this thing, this alcoholic mentality, this thing between the ears, this thinking problem, it's got a built-in forgetter, man. Because it says, we're unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force, sufficient force, the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago or without defense against that first drink. I got a built-in forgetter. I can forget the prison sentences. I can forget the promises I made to my daughter. I forget the promises and the resolutions I made to my wife. I can forget how good it feels to be sober. I can forget what it was like to be dope sick. I, I can forget what it was like to be in the hole. I can forget what it was like to get beat up over these things. I can forget those things. I can forget it, man. And I'll try it all over again. Think I'm going to beat the game and do it different, be able to control and enjoy. And I just never have been able to do it. My mind's playing tricks on me, man. This program gives me awareness. Gives me awareness. The almost certain consequences that follow even taking a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they're hazily and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hot hand on the stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, won't burn me this time, here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to use in a nonchalant way after the third or fourth pound on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sakes, how did I ever get started again? Only to have the thoughts are planted by, well, I'll stop on the with the sixth drink, or what's the use anyhow? Fuck it. We've all had a case of those. When this sort of thinking thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he's placed himself beyond a human aid. Unless locked up, he may die or go permanently insane. These are stark and ugly facts which are confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but they cannot. 
Good news is, guys, there's a solution. So this whole part is for you to decide for yourself. You can relate to the doctor's opinion. You can relate to the mental obsession, the physical allergy. You can relate to all being all five types of users. You can relate to wanting to make the supreme sacrifice. If you can relate to the cycles of spree, liking the effect, being restless, irritable, and discontent, unless you can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, which we see others taking with impunity. If you can relate to that, if you can relate to being the real alcoholic, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, you can relate to it being a thinking problem. You can relate to deep down your heart, not knowing why you do it. If you can relate to those things, man, you have to find a solution, man. I, I, God, there's no other way for me. There's a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, leveling of our pride, the confessions of our shortcomings, which this process requires, requirement, guys. For its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. We come to believe in the hopelessness and futility. Futility means pointless or useless. Life I've been living. When therefore we were approached by those with whom the problem had been solved. There was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven. We have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence. Which we not even dreamed. Fourth dimension of existence. What are the four dimensions? Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. When I'm engaging those four areas, I'm in the best state of being in all four of those areas I've ever been in my life. I've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, which I not even dreamed of. Wow. It doesn't come out and say what it is. The solution starts in steps one, two, and three, admitting defeat, asking for help. Coming to believe in a higher power in step two. Making a decision in step three to let your actions reflect that belief. Through consistency creates an identity. Ultimately removing the obsession to want to change the way you feel. And having a psychic change. So that's the solution man. A psychic change. The great fact is just this and nothing less. That we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which has revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed a miracle, miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. It doesn't come out and say it, man. It doesn't. It's a psychic change. It's a connection to a higher power. It's rewiring the brain, the moral psychology, the psychological measures, this connection to higher power that pulls chronic addicts from the back, of ga- the, back from the gates of death. The footwork we put in, that 50-50 relationship in step three. Outcomes in God's hands. The footwork is mine on a day-to-day basis. Creates a psychic change. When I love the way I feel and the actions I take on a day-to-day basis, at the end of the night when I lay my head down, I know I didn't harm anyone. When I know I kept all my commitments. When I know I found a way to grow physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, that's a good day and I don't want to change that way I feel. But if the character defects creep back into my life over a prolonged period of time, then I'm going to want to change the way I feel again. Because this thing doesn't go away. We have a daily reprieve. If you're as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We are in a position where life was becoming impossible. If we had passed into a region where there's no return through human aid, we had two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the unconsciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other is to accept spiritual help. 
Translation, guys. You got to do whatever it takes. And you got two options. Either you get busy living or you get busy dying, man. If you're not working on recovery, you're working on a relapse. And that's just the way it is for me. Today, I choose to live. My actions reflect that for the most part on a day-to-day basis, man. I'm winning the days. I'm winning the moments. And today, I love the way I feel and the person I am. I think I'm going to try it again tomorrow. It's worked for a few days for me now. We did this because we honestly wanted to and we're willing to make an effort. So here's the story. I'm going to read the story. I'm going to go through it. And ultimately, when we get to the point where the solution actually comes in, I'm going to try to explain it to you and ultimately end the chapter. And I hope you guys get a little bit of a grasp on um, if you can relate to this, if this is you or what the solution is. It's a belief that turns into an experience that gives you awareness, that gives you the ability to correct your actions, to create an identity, man, and to figure out why, why you do it. Here's the story. A certain American businessman had ability, good sense, high character. For years, he floundered from one sanitarium to another. He consulted the best-known American psychiatrist. Then he'd gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician. The psychiatrist, Dr. Jung, prescribed for him. Though experience made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed he acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind, its hidden springs, that relapse was unthinkable. Unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was high and drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So he returned to the doctor whom he admired and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control over drugs and alcohol. Why was this? He begged the doctor to tell him the truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society. He would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. This was a great physician's opinion. But the man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. The principles of the program, the steps, the forward motion, the action. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they could do it without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with this doctor. The doctor said, you have a mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed in on him with a clang. He said, the doctor, is there no exceptions? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times, here and there, once in a while. Alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are a phenomenon. So here's the solution, guys. Page 27 in the middle, right here. I'm going to point it out to you. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Remember, guys, we've got a thinking problem, an emotional problem. I don't know how to handle my emotions, good or bad. I want to change them or I want to enhance them or I want to celebrate them. Or I don't like them, the negative emotions, especially the drugs work. I don't think, I don't feel, I don't care. I think it's going to be different. We've explained over and over again why it's a thinking problem. I'm driven by these things and I don't know how to handle them. So ideas, emotions, and attitudes were which the guiding forces, those were the guiding forces of my life. I was driven by those things, are suddenly cast to one side. And that's step one for me, man. They're cast aside. I realize I know nothing. I realize I can't do it alone. I realize I've tried everything else. I've got the same results. None of it works. There's step one. It's cast aside. In a completely new set of conceptions and motives, in step two, I start to identify some morals, some values, some beliefs, some assets, a conception of a higher power. I start to believe that in there. 
begin to dominate them. I make a decision in step three to put some footwork in, man, on a day-to-day basis. When I fall short, I correct it, and I do it long enough to make it a habit to have a psychic change. The solution starts in one, two, and three. The following steps give you the ability to have awareness, to learn the truth about you, to repair some relationships, to maintain your spiritual connection, your awareness in 10, spiritual connection 11, and forgive yourself and use your past as your greatest asset in step 12. But the solution starts, begins with one, two, and three, and that's a good explanation of it. I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangements within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Upon hearing this, our friend felt somewhat relieved, for he reflected that after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctor telling him while his religious convictions were very good. In his case, they did not spell the necessary a vital spiritual experience. Here was a terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had the extraordinary experience, which we have already told you made him a free man. We, in turn, sought the escape with all the desperation of drowning men. The books, the life preserver, the connection to a higher power, man. That's what pulls us and it helps us escape disaster. And we do it together, and that's what the fellowship is for. But the main object of this book is to enable you to find a power grade in yourself, which will solve your problem. That's the solution. That's part of it. Steps one, two, and three. What at first seemed a flimsy read is proven to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design for living which really works. The distinguished American psychologist William James in his book, Varieties of Religious Experience, indicates a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. We have no desire to convince anyone there is only by one way by which faith can be acquired. If what we have learned, felt, and seen means anything at all, it means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator with whom we may form a relationship on simple and understandable terms as soon as we're willing and honest enough to try. Those having religious affiliations will find here nothing disturbing to their beliefs or ceremonies. There's no friction among us over such matters. We think it no concern of ours what religious bodies or members identify themselves with as individuals. This should be an entirely personal affair, which each one decides for himself in the light of past associations or his present choice. Not all of us join religious bodies, but most of us favor such memberships. In the following chapter, there appears an explanation about alcoholism or addiction. That's step one, guys, more about alcoholism. As we understand it, then a chapter addressed to the agnostics. That's step two, we agnostics. Many who were once in this class are now among our members. Surprising enough, we find such convictions no great obstacle to a spiritual experience. Further on, clear-cut directions. Those are the preceding steps. Given shown how we recovered, followed by 42 personal experience. Those are the stories in the back of the book. Each individual in the personal stories described in his own language or from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. These give a fair cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is, pay attention, that many alcoholic men and women desperately in need will see these pages and we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they'll be persuaded to say yes. I'm one of them too. I must have this thing. There's a solution. But first you got to want to have this thing. I encourage you to find recovery, find a path, find something that works for you. You can gravitate towards. So ultimately you can find a solution. Tapping into a source of power that rockets you into the fourth dimension of existence. That's there is a solution.